Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to gather together here again as we come together, as always, on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, to worship Him in spirit and truth. I want to thank everybody for uh, coming together. Isn't the singing sounding good in here this morning? I'm sure God is uh, being praised in here this morning, and as we glorify His great and holy name through song and word and prayer. So brethren, if you look on the screen behind me, you see the word holiness. This lesson really is coming from, um, really, the lectureship that's been going on over at Allen Park. Um, I spoke on Thursday, Jim spoke uh, yesterday morning, uh, and it, it, it's been, uh, there's been some good lessons that have been provided. But in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, it talked about how we are to be holy and blameless before God. And I wonder how often we think about holiness. How often do we consider the idea of blamelessness? You know, I think it was uh, Brother Andre asked after he spoke after me on Thursday, he said, uh, can we be blameless? And the answer is yes, we can be blameless, but it's not in and of ourselves. We're only blameless, we're only righteous, we're only found worthy to stand before a holy and righteous God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That cleanses over us. Amen? And so I want us to consider holiness here this morning because I don't know if we consider holiness enough. I don't know if we think about holiness enough. You know, you think about your relationships with your coworkers. You think about your relationships with your children. You think about your relationship with your wife. You think about how you conduct yourself out in public. Are we representatives of the Lord's church? You guys don't know the answer to that question? Are we representatives of the Lord's church? And so we go out into the world, and as representatives of the Lord's church, we are to do what? We are to glorify God in all that we do. We are to glorify God in our speech. We are to glorify God through our deeds. So in word and deed, we do all to the glory of the Father. You know, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are to study to show ourselves approved. And I think probably the reason why we don't consider holiness enough is because I wonder how often we read about holiness. I wonder how often we consider the various passages that speak to us as being holy, that speak to us as being uh, righteous, that speak to us as being washed, that speak to us as being justified. You see, brethren, this morning as we get into this lesson and we consider the idea of holiness... I want us to really look at the word, because the word kadosh is a, it's a Hebrew word, right? And it means holy in the English language. The word holy is defined to cut, it's defined to separate, it's defined to set apart. And so if something is said to be holy, then that object and or that person is set apart, and it is to be used in service to God. Notice the word, used. What does it mean that something or someone is to be used in service to God? Brethren, the word used simply means that something holy, it's, for something to become holy, it has to be used, which means there's reaction required behind it. So as we think about Romans 12 that I mention all the time, because I always want you guys, I never want you guys to forget Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we're called to be holy uh, sacrifices unto the Lord. And we are called to be uh, to transform our hearts and transform our minds there in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. But that transformation that takes place, takes place with God's word in mind. 
And so if God's word is on our hearts and it is our mind, then we know that as we consider the idea of holiness, consider the idea of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, that word walking, right, there's action behind it, right? It's not something that you can get away with. We have too many people in the church who want to walk worthy in the man, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, but they don't want to forgive fellow saints. They don't want to forgive family members. They don't want to actually uh, do the things that God calls them to do, but then expect that God's going to be pleased with them when they take their last breath. You see, brethren, to be holy, you need to be used as an object for God's purpose. You be, need to be used as a person uh, who is utilized to bring glory and honor to God. So Christianity is an, is an action-oriented faith, amen? If it is an action-oriented faith, the Apostle Paul said we must walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Colossians 1 and 10. And so holiness refers to separating something out. Separating something out that is to be used and consecrated for a special purpose. Brethren, do we have a special purpose? As disciples of Jesus Christ, do we have a special purpose? You know, on last Sunday I preached on what is our purpose, and then on Thursday I talked about who we are and why we're here. And so today we're going to further that conversation by looking at holiness. Because it's not just religious things that may be holy, but also things that we use in our everyday lives. Do you know that the marriage covenant, the marriage relationship, is considered holy? Why? Because it's set apart, it's sanctified by who? By God. And so we learn about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We learn about that in Ephesians chapter 5. You think about Christians. It says that in the first century, in Romans 16 and 16, it says that they greeted one another with a holy kiss. Christians are supposed to be holy in our personal conduct, we learn about in 1 Peter chapter 1. God himself is holy, and thus, without holiness in our lives, we will not see the Lord, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. So we see how important the idea of holiness is. And so I want you to open your Bibles here this morning to Numbers chapter 16. I want you to open up to Numbers chapter 16. We're going to read through probably a longer passage of Scripture uh, because I want you to see objects and people that are set aside... Uh, that are set aside or set apart as, uh, as holy unto the Lord. And we're going to see a perfect example of this in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 16. So I'm going to give you a second to get there. Numbers chapter 16. And as we open our Bibles to Numbers uh, chapter 16, here you're going to see objects as well as people who are set apart in service unto God. We as modern-day Christians, are set apart in service unto a holy and righteous God. So in number 16, we're going to start right there in verse 1. We're going to look at the first seven verses, and then we're going to jump down to about verse 20. Notice what it says, starting in verse uh, 1 of Numbers uh, uh, chapter 16. Now Korah, the son of uh, Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, this, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and, and On, the son of Peleth, uh, sons of Reuben took action. They rose up because Moses, they rose up before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel. Two hundred and fifty leaders of the congregation rose up, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. Notice what it says there in verse two. Before we go on, it says that these were two hundred and fifty uh, members of the congregation of Israel that were chosen in the assembly, men of renown. That means that they were highly regarded. That means they were highly thought of. 
Brethren, but understand this. When we think about what is highly regarded in the hearts and minds of men, it is oftentimes considered foolishness in the eyes of a holy and righteous God. So we see that these are men of renown. They're highly thought of. But as we know, what seems to be right in the sight of man is often foolishness in the sight of God. Jeremiah, he tells us in chapter 10, he says, I know, O Lord, that a man's ways is not in himself, nor is, is it in a man who walks to guide or direct his own steps. Always remember that God searches the hearts and the minds, uh, searches our hearts and minds. God knows our thoughts. And so mankind often judges, though, on outward uh, uh, appearances, where God judges the intent of the heart. Notice in verse 3 it says and following, They assembled together against Moses and Aaron, these men of Korah. And they said to them, You have gone far enough, Moses and Aaron, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? I don't know about you guys, but I remember when, uh, when Miriam and Aaron tried this. It didn't work out so well. But let, let's see what happens here in verse 4. When Moses heard this, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all the company that was with him, saying, Tomorrow, brethren, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will bring him near to himself. Even the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. He says, I want you to do this in verse 6. I want you to take your censers for yourselves. I want you to take your censers, Korah, and all your company, and I want you to put fire in them, and I want you to lay incense upon them, and I want you to lay them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. So you see here in verse 7, now we're going to drop down to verse 20. But Moses is saying, you've gone far enough in your arrogance, right? But they're coming to Moses and saying, you have gone far enough. Are we not all holy in the sight of, uh, of God? And notice what it says here, uh, starting in verse 20. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. I don't think God's real happy with them right now. But they fell on their faces and said, O oh God, God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, Moses, saying, Get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And then Moses arose, and he went to Dathan and Abiram, with the elders of Israel following him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing that belongs to them, or you will be swept away in all their sin. So they got so they got back from around so they got back away from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and they stood in the doorway of their tents, along with their wives and their children, their little ones. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds. For this is not my doing, this is not my will, Moses says, but this is the will of God. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me, meaning that if they just die a normal death. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all, with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. 
As he finished speaking all these words, the ground then, the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. And so they, so they, all, and, so they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, and earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. All Israel who were around with them fled at the outcry, for they said, The earth may swallow us up too. Fire came, also came from, uh, forth from the Lord, and consumed the 250 men who were offering their fire on their in, uh, the fire and incense on their censers. Now listen to what it says in verse 36 or 38. Because I told you we're going to look at this this story, because it's going to show us objects and people who are set aside as holy unto the Lord. We already seen who did God choose. Did God choose the, the Levites, the, the uh, Korah, and the 250 men of renown? Or did God choose Moses and Aaron as holy that is set apart unto him? Well, you've just seen what happened to Korah and his family and the 250 men. Now notice what God says in regards to the objects. Verse 36. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, that he shall take up the censers out of the midst of the blaze. For what? For they are holy. And you scatter the burning coals abroad. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered sheets for a plating of the altar, since they did present them before the Lord, and they are holy. And they shall be for a sign to the sons of Israel." Well, what exactly made these censers holy? Well, they were presented before a holy and righteous God in service to God. And so they are set apart as holy since they were used in service or worship to God. And so we've seen how Moses and Aaron are set apart in God's eyes as holy compared to the 250 people of renown. Remember, oftentimes, you know, what we think highly of, God doesn't think so highly of. Sometimes, you know, I remember, and I, I, I've told you guys this before, I remember, you know, in my Catholic days, uh, when, when I was, you know, just living out the faith, which I thought I was living out my faith to the best of my ability, people would say, Dave's a good guy. But Dave was doing all these other things throughout the week that, well, weren't necessarily frowned upon uh, in my Catholic faith. And when I studied scripture, the people who said that Dave's a good guy, I realized quickly that God says, you're an abomination. But man said he's a good dude. But God says you're an abomination. Who should I listen to? You think it would be better for me to understand and, and, and place my trust in God and not in the people who are also worldly, who are also doing the same things I do? Just because I paid my taxes and I went to work five days a week and I supported my family doesn't make you a good guy. I guess it really all depends on whose standard you want to use. Do you want to use God's standard or do you want to use man's standard? And so we've seen here the people of Korah who thought pretty highly of themselves, oh, they, they were using man's standard. They weren't using God's standard. So let's look at this idea of holiness, and let's try to see how it applies to us here in the 21st century. You know, we have to remember that the nation of Israel, it was, a, it was supposed to be a holy nation, amen? They were supposed to be set apart as God's own possession, set apart for God's own glory, but there's this little thing called pride that got in the way. Jealousy, wickedness. Brethren, if pride, jealousy, and wickedness are a part of your character, then God will consume each of you with a fire in the end. Unless you repent, 
Unless you turn away from that type of mindset, that type of attitude, you'll end up with a similar fate. Oh, sure, the ground might not open up and swallow you, but when you take your last breath, when you stand before God in, in judgment, as 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 talks about, brethren, you will be judged based on your deeds done in the body. You will be, uh, you'll be judged based on your heart and your mind, for God knows all things. There's nobody pulling the wool over God's eyes. You know, God's never been sitting up there on his throne looking down at mankind and saying, I didn't see that coming. God knows all things. That's how it says in Ephesians that we were chosen, uh, uh, we were chosen before the foundation of the world in Christ. Because God knows all things. We still have free will. We still get to make the choices that we make and live the lives that we live. God just happens to know what the outcome is going to be. And so, brethren, you look at this information. With a show of hands here this morning, who's baptized into Christ? We have many of us who are baptized into Christ, but you know what? Not all of us are baptized into Christ. And I ask you this question because it's of utmost importance to realize that you have been set apart from the world as a person for God's own possession. You have been set apart from the world as a person for God's glory. You know, remember, you guys remember when I was talking about what our purpose is, right? Our purpose is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Our purpose is to do all that God requires of us to fulfill His will in our lives. Our purpose isn't to fulfill our goals and our desires for our lives. Our purpose as bondservants of Jesus Christ is to do God's will in our lives. I wonder how often we forget that. I wonder how often we forget to do God's will. Because I want you to see what Peter says in regards to holiness. I want you to see what Peter says here on the screen behind me in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14 through 16. Because Peter is going to let us in on a little secret. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to your former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. You see, I told you a minute ago that people of the world would say, Dave's a good dude. But God said Dave's an abomination in his current state back then. And so I had a choice to make. And so you look at it, it says right here, as obedient children, as Christians, do not be conformed to your former lusts that were yours in your ignorance. So I had a choice to make. Anybody else here have any choices to make as you live your life? Am I the only one that may have been an abomination at one time? Am I the only one that was a sinner in need of a savior? You see, brethren, you look at the scriptures here this morning, and you see what the Bible is telling us. It says, as obedient children, as Christians, do not be conformed to your former lusts, which are yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself in all, in all of your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You know, Peter doesn't stop there. He goes on in 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 9 and 10, he tells us that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are set apart. What do I mean I'm set apart? Well, when you chose to become a Christian, when you gave your life voluntarily over to God, it says you became God's own possession. You know in the scriptures where it says you have been bought with a price, you have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, that means you're no longer your own, but you're your gods, right? No longer live for your purposes, but you live for God's purpose. No longer live to fulfill your will, but you live to fulfill the will of God. So it says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for God's own possession. So what? So you may proclaim your own excellencies. Oh, that's not what it says, right? It doesn't say your own excellency. So you may proclaim the excellencies of God who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It says, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Well, how did you become the people of God? How did you, how did you not only become the people of God, but what is it that allowed you to be found pleasing in the sight of God? Well, as you study out scriptures, you learn about the blood of Jesus Christ. There was a lot of hands that went up when I asked how many here were baptized. You see, when you were baptized, you were washed in the blood of Christ. And if you were washed in the blood of Christ, then you have been made clean and clean indeed. And God has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit as a down payment for our future inheritance, for our future glory. And so when you study these things out, brethren, in Ephesians chapter 1 and 4 on Thursday, I mentioned that as Christians, we are to live holy and blameless lives. And as, as believers, as Christians, as bondservants of Jesus Christ, we have an obligation we have a duty to live holy lives. I wonder how it is that we can live holy lives when many of us are still holding grudges. Anybody here got some family members you're not willing to forgive? I wonder if you think there's going to be a special section in heaven for you and your people that you enjoy to be around and then everybody else. I'm pretty sure we're going to be in a congregation together singing praises unto the Lord, worshiping a holy and righteous God. You see, brethren, you look at the scriptures, you are called to be holy and blameless. But it's not in and of yourselves that we'll look at here in a second. As believers, we have an obligation, we have a duty to live holy lives. Because God's love and his grace has made it possible. Brethren, we are bondservants of the Lord. Why do I keep saying that word bondservant? You know, I've mentioned it from time to time in a Bible study. You guys remember what bondservant means, right? Have you guys ever seen the scriptures when Paul, a lot of times he starts his letter, I, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ? You know what that means? It means simply somebody who has given themselves over in service to another. Somebody who has given themselves over in service to another. Who here was baptized? What did you do? You said, I no longer am going to live for myself, but I'm going to live for, the, for God and his purposes. I give my life over to God. To bring glory and honor to him. And so we as bondservants, we signed up to walk this walk and talk this talk. We signed up to walk the Christian walk and transform ourselves into a reflection of Jesus Christ. How often do you think about that idea of the reflection of Jesus Christ in your life? If we are to be God's representatives as Moses and Aaron were in Numbers chapter 16, as God had proven to the people of Korah, I wonder if the world knows us as God's sons and daughters. When they see you, do they see Jesus? Do they see the reflection of Christ in you? As you interact with the world. As you interact with family and friends and co-workers. Brothers and sisters, you look at all this information. This transformation is not a matter of human ability that I'm talking about. This reflection of Christ isn't a matter of human ability. It's not a matter of human will, but an act of God through the blood of Jesus Christ that allows us to be able to live lives that are considered blameless. You see, brethren, this is a strong message because there's too many people in the church who want to blame their sinfulness on human nature. 
And they say, well, I was born this way. You weren't born a sinner. We know that because God even told in Ezekiel chapter 18, he told them, no longer are you going to use this parable that the fathers ate the grapes, but the children's teeth were set on edge. He was talking about, he says right in those passages of scripture that you will die for your own sins. You remember when Jesus says in John 8 and 24, that's this week's memory verse, right? You will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Well, why does he say that? Well, brethren, you look at this information because too many individuals blame, their, blame the sinfulness in their lives on human nature. The fact is that God has given us the ability to be blameless, but we must now be faithful in our pursuit of holiness. Remember when I said holiness requires something to be used, that is set apart, that is to be used? For God's purposes, that's exactly what you and I have been set apart for. You and I have been sanctified, we have been washed, we have been justified, we have been made righteous for God's purpose. Brethren, remembering who we are is going to make all the difference in the world. If you want to live a holy and blameless life, you have to be washed in the blood of Christ. But not only that, you have to live faithfully unto the Lord. So that way you can continue to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, as 1 John speaks of. In Ephesians chapter 1, and verse 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul, he reminds us. He reminds us of our heritage. He reminds us of our lineage. Because he tells us that we, in, that, in, in Ephesians 1, 5 and 6, he tells us that we are adopted. That we are adopted as God's children, and thus we are called to praise him for his grace. Praise him for his blessings. As children of God, we should often, uh, oftentimes, if not all times, reflect who we are. People must be able to see the light of Christ in us. People must be able to see the image of God, the reflection of God in and through our lives and how we live. And the Apostle Paul, he reminds us of our divine heritage in the letter that he wrote to the people of Ephesus. Because many of the people of Ephesus were marrying pagan worship practices with their own, trying to earn salvation trying to earn forgiveness of sins. But we know, brethren, that that is not what the scriptures teach. There is not one, there is not a million things that you could do to erase even one sin. And so we know that grace comes by God and not, of that, not that of your own, for it is a gift of God. Brothers and sisters, each and every one of us have been created uh, by a loving God. We have been washed in his blood, and so we are to reflect that heritage in all that we say and do. Because you have, people have to know that you are a son and daughter of God. So I, I want you to ask yourself a question. Do the people around you know that you are a child of God? Is your heritage as a son and daughter of creator God, is it obvious to them? That's something I want you to think about this week. Ask yourself, do people delight in being around you for reasons maybe they can't really put their finger on? Or do they just kind of see you as everybody else that they see in the world? Where there's really no difference in you. There's no difference in the way you think, in the way you talk, in the way you act, in the entertainment choices you partake of. Brethren, I don't know about you, but I want people to see God in me. I want people to see Christ in me. Brethren, remembering who you are is going to make all the difference in the world. Because as, as sons and daughters, we have an obligation. We have a duty to shine the light of Christ. I have a question for our teens. I have a question for our teens and our young adults as we consider holiness here this morning. My question for you is simply this. 
What sets you apart from your friends? What sets you apart from your friends who don't know Jesus? If they are making fun of somebody, if they're bullying somebody, do you go along just so you can fit in? If they use foul language, do you use the foul language because, well, I kind of want to fit in, I want to be part of the crowd? If they wear immodest clothing because, you know, that's just kind of what's in style. Do you wear the immodest clothing because you want to fit in? If they drink, and if they smoke, and if they're experimenting with all these drugs and doing all these stupid things that you see on TikTok, will you stand up on your convictions that you know that it to be wrong, or are you just going to follow the crowd? You know, I remember uh, Chris, one of the deacons over at Sunset, I'll never forget this. He said this years ago, and it always stuck with me. He said, people are like sheep. He said they oftentimes follow the path of least resistance. Who here doesn't agree with that? How many of our kids oftentimes follow the path of least resistance because, well, they just kind of want to fit in? I kind of want to be like everybody else. But God doesn't call you to be like everybody else. God calls you to be holy. He calls you to be blameless. If you want to go to heaven, if you want to be a child of his, if you want to reflect the light of Christ, and so the question, brethren, that we all have to ask ourselves, and that the question that we all need to consider, adults and children apart, uh, children alike, what is it that sets you apart from those who don't know Jesus? As we consider holiness this morning, what is it that sets you apart from those who don't know Jesus? It is often said that character is what you are when no one is looking. You guys ever hear that one before? Character is often what you are when no one is looking. I'll, you know, I'll leave you with this. There was an old, old American Indian. An old American Indian, he remembers when his chief was telling a story about uh, the struggle that takes place within all of us. And this chief, he said, you know, the struggle within us, he goes, it's kind of like two dogs, right? And these two dogs are kind of fighting inside of us. And he said, there's one dog that really desires to do the right thing. But then there's this other dog that desires to do bad things, evil things, right? The other dog wants to walk in darkness. And sometimes it seems like the good dog seems to be a little bit stronger. Sometimes it seems like the good dog is winning. But then there's those other days. There's those other days when the bad dog seems to be stronger. You know, the dog that's drawn to sin and to evil. It sometimes seems like that dog's winning the fight. And then one of the young braves was sitting there and he asked him, he says, well, who's going to win? Who's going to win in the end? And the chief simply told him, the dog that you feed is the dog that will win. What do I mean by that? The dog that you feed is the dog that you will win. You see, you have the choice, you have the ability to choose righteousness or unrighteousness. So what do you choose in your life? Do you choose to do the things of God because you wish to walk blamelessly and holy before God, reflecting God to society? Or do you choose to look like society because you want to fit in, you want to walk with the world, but you come here on Sunday pretending to be something that you're really not the other six days of the week? Which dog do you feed Monday through Saturday? And is it obvious to other the dog that you're feeding in your life? See, many of us think we're getting away with something. Many of us think that people don't really know. But brethren, I'm here to tell you, oftentimes we know which dog you're feeding. You know which dog I'm feeding. You get to choose righteousness. You get to choose unrighteousness. 
Brethren, I implore you to make the right choice because your eternal destiny hangs in the balance. If you're here this morning and you're hearing this lesson on holiness and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I've been reading the scriptures. Maybe I've been studying with somebody. Maybe I've been thinking about this for a while and, and I'm ready. I'm ready to make Jesus the Lord of my life. You could do that today by being baptized for the remission of your sins. God will give you his Holy Spirit as a gift, it tells us. God will pick you up and add you to the kingdom. There's not a man amongst us who could put you into the church, but God will pick you up and put you into the church. He will put you into the kingdom if you make the choice to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Remember what it said in John 8 and 24, this week's memory verse? You will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. Brethren, you can make that choice now as we stand and sing the song of invitation. <laughs>